than needed. But I know it's going to pay off, especially for something like this, where I'm planning to play the 10-year game. So with that being said, if you're launching a physical product brand, not dropshipping, because you, you can go dropship. I tried doing it. It's not for me. It's, it's a tough gig to really stick to if you're, if you're at a high level, you know, if you're wanting to really... Cameron, welcome back on the show. Um, we've been talking here and there and catching up, but uh, it's been it's been good to um, have you on again and catch up. I love having like repeat guests on because we kind of already know each other. You know, we've had yeah. a, we've already done an episode, but we get an update now. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, we caught up a little bit, and you gave me a lot of great updates. Want to dig more into that? So, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, and I appreciate uh, you having me on. That you uh, you vet valued our first our first chat so that's uh that's a good sign and you know lots going on so i think this will be a good episode in contrast to the first one yeah you came on i think really relatively early and what i really liked about our that episode is that how it spiraled so quick you know usually we come in and yeah. uh, we, we try to focus on startups and stuff but with me and you you know we went really down rabbit holes into like health into <laughs> analytics into like uh you know like biohacking ourselves really right yeah. I love that. Um, one of the things I noticed about you, man, you're like a really good analytical thinker, you know, you're a strategist, you, you, you know, whenever you're doing something, you're deploying a strategy, mm. right? And, um, you know, you're, you're, you recently came back from the West Coast, you went out there, pursued a few things. Um, let's, let's dive right into that, right? Because I want to, I want to, I really want to talk about this lighting thing you're doing, right? Yeah. Red light, uh, red light, and the interest in that, where that came from, and mm. what do you want to do with it? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I think the best place is to just give context on what red light therapy is. Um, some people might know it as photobiomodulation, which is more like the sciencey term. Uh, but ultimately, light therapy in and of itself is is relatively new, unless you are in some kind of uh, situation where a doctor or some kind of medical professional would have provided that to you at the you know, hospital or whatnot, it's, it's very new from a consumer perspective. And so uh, how I got started in it is when I, when I initially wanted to make that transition from working at the startup TrueFan, which was really where I was at on the last podcast, um, I started looking around in areas of my life and areas in the world that I could start in e-commerce because I, I, I'm very fascinated with e-commerce and the notion of, of um, perfecting a one single product or very limited experiences, very few experiences. And if you can perfect that, you can scale it out to the world um, at a rapid rate. You know, example, Apple uh, probably is the best example of doing that. And so I like the e-commerce. And so I'm like, I'm looking at areas of my life. And obviously on the last podcast, a big part was the health. And for me, health has always been a huge aspect of my life. And, and looking back, I've slowly opened door after door into other areas of what, you know, holistic health really looks like. It started with the fitness. Like that's a classic area that everybody looks at when they turn to becoming more healthy, quote unquote, right? Mm -hmm. It became the nutrition, then it became the sleep, then it became the mindfulness. And then uh, a big part looping back on sleep is I recognize light actually plays a big part into our health. And we don't realize that because of a few reasons. We aren't educated on light and, and light's often misunderstood as to its, its purpose or, you know, what area or how it serves the human experience. And so when I, when I came to that conclusion, I quickly realized, and I'm realizing it more and more as we dive into my company, light is the most underserved experience, part of the human experience in today's society more and it's getting more and more as we progress into modern living living under you know harsh light like i i if you know you can see right now like i'm under bright artificial light that's actually not that good for me in long exposure especially when the sun's gone down right so we don't really think about light and when i recognize that it instantly becomes this bigger vision to say holy like i not only want to educate people on light but I want to provide a solution that counterbalances how mm. modern living has brought us into this world of artificial uh, light. Yeah, uh, this is, I'm something I'm really intimately familiar with this issue. 
one working in an office environment myself yeah. like most people have yeah. under this constant blare of like fluorescent lighting that's just yes. buzzing above your head and now a lot of places led lighting it's it's it's, it's very direct right yeah. you have to deal with it plus like so there's a few things that you're touching on like when you talk about health effects of light right mm -hmm. it, it seems a little qu quirky like yeah people think of light yeah. as like it's everywhere what do you what do you yeah. mean yeah. what does that matter right so working in an, uh, in an environment where you have artificial light is it the artificialness of it creating um like a mental health thing being like an artificial environment where or is it more the actual light itself what, what are you talking about and what are you what are you recommending here definitely um so that's a good question because there's kind of two areas to look at the artificial light itself uh, actually stresses our body in long exposure because there's no, there's little, uh, let me break that down by saying the sun is full spectrum light where it's good for us uh, in longer exposures than what artificial light would be because it's balanced light, right? But at the end of the day, everything is in moderation. The problem is, is with artificial light, it isn't a full spectrum light and it's more leaning on the blue light, which we've all heard of blue light by now, especially if we're in the digital uh, space working in front of screens. Blue light just isn't good for not only our eyes, but our body in general because, and here's where it comes into the other area of sleep, blue light really throws off our circadian rhythm. And our circadian rhythm, for anyone that doesn't know, is essentially that internal clock that is anchored by light it's mm. anchored by the sun and so when the sun goes down we typically our bodies start to get ready for bed right but if our bodies don't know if the sun's up or if the sun's down aka we're being showered by artificial light then it gets thrown off hence when we go to bed especially i know all entrepreneurs can relate to this their minds racing and their yep. body wide awake right and the reason is is we're staring in front of blue light screens devices we're being showered by blue light all day and we're not being we're not being cognizant of the kind of light our body and our eyes are consuming at certain kinds of the day so blue light's good in certain at certain times of the day in certain portions but ultimately um, there needs to be a balance of that light and uh, if it's not in sync with the sun, it's wrong. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, the main thing that people understand. Like when we talk about, talking about blue light, what we're saying is that our, our screens or even um, the light producing uh, diodes from um, LED light, right? Like yeah. it, it's pre-selecting different, like certain wavelengths of light now, right? Yes. Like when you're outside, we're, the natural lighting, the sun, because it's radiating, it's coming from like a heat source, literally the sun. Yeah. It's like, a, it's like a wide spectrum of light coming yeah. at it, whereas LEDs, whereas fluorescence, it's like a narrow band. So blue, the blue side of light, right? Which it's crazy to think that our brains are receptive to the different color temperatures of light and it is, it's tuned to it. Yeah. But like, let's talk a little about that. Like, how do you, do you understand? Like, uh, can you go into detail about like the actual biology of it? Like, how does it affect us? How does it affect our sleep? Does it, is it resetting our minds to think that it's daylight when it's not? Yeah, essentially, because what's going on is blue light. So wavelengths in general, uh, the way the visible, well, not really the visible, the entire light spectrum works off of radiation in the form mm -hmm. of wavelengths. So you hear like a blue wavelength, right? And the key components to understand is on the blue light side going into, um, I believe it, it's gamma rays and it gets really short. The wavelengths become extremely short and when they're short our, they can't penetrate into our skin as deeply as when you get into the longer wavelengths such as red and near infrared which that ties into our my product so what goes on is the shorter the wavelengths the shallower it can penetrate to our skin when it's shorter and, it, and it's shallow penetration it's ultimately not getting into the brain and not picking up the right signals and so what it's doing is it, it's stressing the body it's giving too much energy in the wrong areas of the body and ultimately signaling almost almost like a threat in a sense 
because it's keeping that that uh, the stressor, which is is uh, cortisol, that hormone spiking by mm-hmm. by delivering it to our skin, our eyes, but not allowing it to go fully through at a good amount into deeper our bodies where the other areas of our of the light is doing because on the other end of the spectrum with red and near infrared it can penetrate deeper in through our skin into our bones into our muscle and ultimately into our organs which allows it to work more nicely i guess is the is the simplest way to put it and it it gives the right amount of energy at the right amount of time uh whereas on the opposite side with blue light it simply can't because of the structure of it. It just can't pass through um, our skin and it's giving too much energy, hence creating a stressor rather than, you know, what would be the sunset uh, where it's actually unwinding or, or giving a calming sensation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's it's, it's, it's definitely interesting how intricate our bodies are tied to our environment. Crazy, right? crazy. Yeah. And the other crazy thing is, is, um, this is how the human body has evolved or has become what it is over the thousands and thousands of years that we've lived. And to think that we can bypass how our bodies are ta- and how attached they are to the sun, because they weren't going inside and, and, and go like our ancestors weren't going inside and going under these harsh artificial lights. So to think that it's now okay for the past what? How long have we had artificial light for, right? Mm-hmm. For the past maybe 60 years, 70 years. And think out of the 70 years, we all of a sudden, our bodies could adapt. That's like two generations max <laughs> that we are, our bodies are nowhere near close to adapted to it. So uh, although it's, it's, our bodies are, are able to, um, pick up this light and be able to receive it and take energy from it. It's also crazy to think about how rapidly we are, our society has shifted into such an opposite environment to what our ancestors and what our actual bodies know and uh, thrive on. Like, let's talk about that. Cause I think like uh, most of our ancestors didn't have to, right? Like for so much of our human history, we were outside. Like we were like, we were so intimately close to the outside yet. You know, I also think about like kings and queens who were the first to like get access to a palace yeah. and not doing anything, right? Being stuck indoors all the time. Yeah. If they've experienced this, you know, like the idea of like uh, of like European nobility, right? They they, mm-hmm. thought, they call themselves blue veins because they were so pale skinned, yeah, not not like not expressed to light that they have the blue veins stuck yeah. out, and that was like a way of showing nobility, right? If you had the, <laughs> if you were that pale, it just showed you were wealthy because you didn't have to go outside. <laughs> Right. I wonder if there's a historical context to this of understanding light and how it reflects to us. Because, you know, in throughout humanity, we have such a respect for the sun. It's it's part of like so many cultures, like traditions. You rise with the sun. You, you know, you, you do some kind of prayer in the mornings to make you feel better. Like even now, we internalize that to like you know waking up at the 5 a.m. club. Yeah. Right. Right. Like so, tuning ourselves to light. Um, I think we've naturally understood that, you know. But now we have kind of the capability to understand why. Mm. Right, and I think now with that understanding, we can go back and digress into like how we can modernize, funny enough, our modern living, yeah, <laughs> right? our standards, yeah, right? into into like the way of how do you have a blend with nature, right? Uh, you know, you see so much of people doing that, like you know, having like water fountain, like water like um, fixtures in the house just to have yeah. water, that that idea of water flowing around them, right? Cool. More plants and things around them, but now light, right? So you're you you have you guys have an offering this device that can stimulate red light. Correct. Right. Yeah. Um, let's talk about that. Like you went from, you know, digital marketing to now launching like a pretty much a, like a hardware uh, company. Yeah. Right. Yeah. How that develop? Like, uh, you know, you experienced uh, you. We're still in the process. And uh, the one thing I would say is if for anyone looking to launch an e-com, uh, not an e-commerce, but if you're launching a product based business in 2021, it's most likely going to be e-commerce. So. Um, if you're launching a physical product, be prepared for a lot longer of a turnaround than anticipated if you're building a brand. And when I say that, I mean, you can go hop on AliExpress, find a product, drop ship it tomorrow. But ultimately, what are you actually building? You're building a cash flow for yourself. You're not building anything serious uh, from a brand standpoint, 
from you know an, a customer experience standpoint, they're not going to have a good customer experience. So the one thing that I've always done is anytime I, I commit myself to something, I'm like, how can I do it the best possible? And a lot of the time that's created a lot more work for myself than, than needed. But I know it's going to pay off, especially for something like this, where I'm planning to play the 10-year game. So with that being said, if you're launching a physical product brand, not dropshipping, because you, you can go dropship. I tried doing it. It's not for me. It's, it's a tough gig to really stick to if you're, if you're at a high level, you know, if you're wanting to really create impact. The first and foremost thing, build yourself a vision. Build yourself a vision and a mission statement. And I know is cliche as that is to say about starting a business that out of anything that I've done up until now that has uh, provided the biggest ROI through the decisions myself and my partners have made to get to where we are today from the branding um, from picking other people to work with us from how the website's looking to ultimately how we're thinking about rolling out marketing and what the marketing messages are going to be so really focus on your brand early on and what i mean by that is how do you want to impact the world when the brand's gone what are you trying to achieve on a day-to-day -day basis your mission and how are you going to make your decisions slash what is your company based on and that's your values so we really i i took a, a good length of time to focus on that early on and that's been one of the best things that we've done so that was one of the first things the other things we've done uh, to get to where we are is find a great supplier and how we found that is Alibaba So Alibaba and Aliexpress are the two companies you can probably easily source products off of Aliexpress is more again consumer drop shipping focused. Alibaba is more uh, Supplier relations where you're actually building a long-term relationship. They're expecting or, like large orders but you also can get your products customized and you can work with the suppliers to make tweaks to the product and the packaging so it fits your branding and it, and it works for the customer experience that you're trying to achieve. So after scanning, you know, probably about five to seven, we were pretty lucky. We didn't have to go too, too deep. Um, we found the right supplier through, you know, responsive time, flexibility. Um, and then also we shipped a couple samples to myself and uh, after finding the best product and the best response time and the best flexibility, we went with that supplier and we made a good choice. They've been amazing so far working with us. And then from there, uh, it was a matter of getting funding. Like that's been the biggest challenge because of our ticket is high, high, uh, high price point. So per unit, it costs a lot. And so even just put an order for 75 units, you know, we're looking at uh, around 20 to 30 G's US. Uh, just for sorry, I think I said 25 for 75 units. Um, so that was the other issue, and we need to get some funding uh, to make sure that we could put that down and still have enough money for marketing. And so we actually went with Futurepreneur. We went through the Futurepreneur process over the past month and a half, two months. That took a lot of back and forth, and ultimately through that, we just got approved for a funding. We put the inventory order in, so we have our first units of inventory being shipped over. Uh, to the U.S. to get into a fulfillment center, and uh, then we're going to be uh, pedal to the metal with marketing. But the the process is a lot longer than than anticipated when you're trying to do it right. That's for sure. No, it's great. Thank you for like guiding us through that journey because, like, the learning curves sometimes seem um, daunting, but. Like with our interconnected world right now, like the ability to Zoom call people and talk to them and ask, yeah. ask experts for advice, meet people and, and uh, you know, these kind of services now available. Like it seems it's easier now than ever to like launch a new thing, to test an idea out, right? Have you, have you done this kind of stuff before? Like have you like developed something that's your own, you, uh, you, you've sold? Uh, have you started a business before? Is this your first startup that you founded, you're finding yourself? Uh, yeah, pretty much. And th that's probably part of the reason why it's taken as long as it has to get to where we are. But uh, from a product standpoint, definitely, you know, obviously with TrueFan, I was ground level first employee there. So I saw that and how it formed out. But, you know, it's still a lot different doing it on your own when you're mm. you know, taking every single punch uh, yourself kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, first first go, I think. Yeah, I mean, I love people who work at a startup, especially at early level, see the grind and be like, oh, 
I can do this too. You know, and you know, and I, I have, I have something, an idea I want to work out. So let's jump in, let's do it, right? Like once you see it happen, it's more easy to like repeat something, right? That kind of behavior. So, so like, um, now talking about that, like that, that behavioral instinct. Like you also are now back, back in Toronto. You were, you know, last we spoke, you were in Vancouver, right? Uh, You're back in Toronto. You're also working on some uh, other stuff here, right? Can you, can you talk about that now as well? Yeah, definitely. Um, so. I think I'll come from it from the standpoint of being being your own uh, company, starting your own company. Like that requires funding. Uh, like I'm 23, I haven't had a ton of time to build up a huge uh, bank of cash where I can start just you know spending it at will, whether it's myself or the startup. So obviously, I need something in the interim to allow myself to live stress-free while we're building this startup. And as I got looking for a quote-unquote cash flow business, um, I ended up you know, striking out a deal and started doing some Google ads for this guy that, that, that ran a, a car, a used car dealership. And that ultimately turned around into a bigger conversation to say, hey, what about this? What about that? And next thing you know, we're having conversations about um, me doing all of his marketing and then me and him acquiring a, uh, an entire other business, you know, and one thing led to another that it just made sense that, hey, if I could have a salary and a good opportunity to grow, still get some equity in this other business and also start my own startup all while still having the flexibility to maneuver as a leader, that really made sense for me. And so what uh, what came to is now I'm working at this other uh, dealership, right? They're a used car dealership in my hometown with the anticipation of, you know, getting, getting this other software, acquiring it into the dealership and then leading that charge and building that out from a cash flow perspective, because I'm going to have a salary the entire time. So it, it went from, Hey, how can I, you know, fund myself as I'm growing my own startup to how can I lead this other software, get some equity here, build this, make, make a cash flow on the back end when we sell it and uh, be able to that now have real, hopefully some real serious funds when we sell that in a year or two years time and, and amplify the efforts with the above club, which is my, my, uh, my startup. So, you know, it's, it's a crazy journey how that all happened, but uh, Hey, you know, I'm, I think I'm in a really good spot now with how I'm at because I'm, I'm stress-free and mm. Any entrepreneur looking to do a startup right now, you got to be stress-free from a financial standpoint if you really want to make your dream a reality or your business a reality. Even if it's just a business that you're looking at cash flow and sell out on the back end, you can't start that because you can't predict how long that's going to take and how intensive from a finance standpoint that's going to take. And so if you don't have some kind of consistent cash flow coming in, like you're going to be making poor decisions and you're going to be making short-term decisions that ultimately aren't best for the business. Uh, whether you are playing an acquisition or you, this is your legacy play, uh, you need that. And so when I found that, I was like, hell yeah, like, let me run with this. Let me get the cash flow underway so I can make all the decisions properly with Above Club. Um, so I'm blessed to have that now. Yeah, like what I, what I love about this is that you get to learn so much for so so quickly, right? Yeah. You you get to, to have the benefit of a full time experience. You're jumping in. Um, you get to work with cars, which is always fun. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, one of the things I always re- regretted was uh, not getting into car sales. Like uh, I, t- I talked to my wife about this. It's like I, I've when I was like 19, I put myself through like a sales challenge, right? I wanted to like sell a house, a mortgage, and a car mm-hmm. uh, before I turned uh, 20, right? And it's all like third party, you know, like for somebody else. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So uh, I was able to sell a house, a mortgage, and a car by turning 20. You know, I sold a friend's car for them. I sold, uh, you yeah, know, I helped exactly. the realtor close a deal, and I got a mortgage, uh, a person somebody interested in mortgage, and you know, flipped it over to a mortgage person. And I wanted to explore those industries, but like something about selling cars that is just seems so fun, right? People yeah. come into the dealership, they see like this experience of a car, and they yeah. want it, but that experience is changing now, right? Yeah, like no. Like Tesla's changes model, like they put te- Teslas into into malls, put it yeah. right, it made it into a consumer product. That was kind of crazy. But now people aren't going to malls. People aren't going out. There's a whole virtual experience coming out. 
the former um, CTO of Tesla actually, he's he created like a multi-billion dollar company now focused on this. It's called Technion. It's like how to sell cars virtually for mm-hmm. straight to, from dealership, straight from the uh, manufacturer, straight to consumer. Replicate the Tesla model, right? And I think there's a, there's a lot of like the changes happening to a lot of legacy businesses and cars, like all the different verticals involved with cars are it's it's, gonna, it's definitely experiencing that, right? Um, are you even following this uh, trends at all? Um, what what interest do you see? Oh, I like the one thing that that we're trying to do with the dealership software is I, I don't know what that bit, what was the name that you just mentioned of the CTO. Uh, this, the former CTO of uh, Tesla, uh, his name skips me, but um, his new company is called uh, Techion, T-E-K-I-N-O-N. Yeah, not based familiar. out of India. But that, what that sounds like, vir- selling virtually, uh, mm-hmm. uh, is where things are headed. Yeah. Like that's where I see a huge gap in the market, and hopefully I'm not giving my competitive edge away here by saying this, <laughs> but <laughs> in Canada there's like little to no competition in the virtual selling space. And so you have Canada drives and that's pretty much it mm-hmm. in the virtual market that, that you can go online, buy online and get delivered. Like that model just doesn't exist anywhere. Even just buying online, having a payment gateway where you can make a purchase or a down payment on a car online does not exist in Canada. There's Carvana, there's CarMax in the States, but Canada and Canada is a huge market for uh, um, cars. Like it's not like we, we don't drive here, right? So mm-hmm. uh, Canada Drives, I believe, is a hundred million dollar company already in, the, in in like five or six years time. It's nuts. Wow. And because they're they're bang on on the trend of, of dealerships with most with most industries, but dealerships specifically, they've always been human human interaction you come into the dealership a salesperson greets you you talk them through you get the financing you do the deal and you drive off the lot that's always how it's been done yeah the other thing with dealerships is they're resistant to change because that's what the the salespeople need they need the person to come in and they can't see it any other way and so the biggest trend i see is is pushing harder on allowing the consumer to take as much action as possible up to the point of making that purchase online now. Uh, there's a lot of dealerships that is like, you see a car, you have to make a request, then you have to like wait for them to email you back. And then once you email them back, you go back and forth and then you finally go into the dealership. And maybe that's not even the car that you want. But it, like the way Canada Drive does it is, you can take every single action and actually purchase a car online now. So um, I just see like most industries, the evolution and COVID sped that up, the evolution of power to the consumer and personalization where it now gives you, uh, it now gives a consumer the ability to do as much as they want as possible in as short or as long as time as possible or as they want um, all through a single website. Mm-hmm. No, that's that's fascinating because um, I see like two, di- like two, two like crossroads for the like automotive industry in that regard, right? And I don't want, I don't want to dive too deep in uh, into your IP here. But, uh, <laughs> but like two green crossroads, right? Like the, the, the car industry, automotive industry invented the dealership model. Like they created the dealership model where like they removed themselves from the selling of it to allow for a, a, like a vast networks of dealers to bring, uh, build a distribution channel, right? Bring cars to the right, right to the consumer, create an experience around it and, and, and convert, right? So the deal is a brilliant way to get cars into, into the market space, right? Yeah. And now like with online, with straight to buy, like there's a challenge to that, right? So there's two ways it can go. One is a platform model where like Techion is working on. So manufacturing straight to consumer, right? So the manufacturer puts their car up, people can see it in a 3D model, play around with it, and then purchase right from the consumer, like a like a consumer product that, you know, you go to Amazon. Or is it more like a dealer model where it allows you to run a virtual dealership Right, or like you know, have your like you can have your how like to having like the 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 overhead like an actual dealership and a physical location like an actual like front end location, yeah. you can turn into like a ghost kitchen like you know instead of a, like in the, you know like what like Uber or DoorDash has done to the restaurant industry you no longer need to be forward facing to a consumer you can just make food sell it virtually yeah. and someone can deliver it right so you can have it in a warehouse right 
like in a more private model. So more people can set up their own private dealerships, smaller networks, so niche categories or like exotic categories, right? They, they focus on their niche, but there's like a distributed, uh, even a more grossly distributed net of more specialized dealers, dealers coming up, right? What do you see or what do you predict? Like, what do you think is the model here? Well, I just think it's gonna, there's gonna be more people like Canada Drives. I still think the Canada Drives model can be altered to even cater to the customer more by adding in um, the Uber uh, marketplace where anyone can sign up from both ends, right? You can go on, you can buy a vehicle, you can go on, you can list a vehicle. Well, when you say that's Auto Trader, well, Auto Trader isn't really doing that because Auto Trader is just the listing center. But mm. what Uber does is Uber makes the entire the entire process white labeled under Uber. There's not there's not like Cam's taxi services that you can go and hire under Uber. I'm just an mm. Uber driver, right? So mm. the, the thing with Canada Drives is they're not um, touching that. And then the thing with Auto Trader is they're also not touching that aspect where it's white labeled through and through. So I think it's gonna there there is gonna be a product um, that is going to go one step further than what's out there, where it's now going to give the power to the dealer, also going to give the power to the consumer, and then make the experience flawless in between by being the Uber, the Airbnb for the car dealership space, um, because that. That's that's how a lot of industries have been disrupted. Who can who's to say that the dealership space can't be disrupted like that? That's really cool. It's uh, you know that's it's a cool problem. I love this period of time. Like it's 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 kind of messed up to say because we're in a pandemic, literally yeah. in lockdown. Yeah. But like you know like it opens up so much possibility, right? It's everything's awesome. ripe for disruption. You know when when things are chaos, uh, you know chaos is a it's a ladder, not a pit. You know, yeah. To quote yeah. the Joker. But, uh, you know, like when things are going crazy, like there's, there's solutions that would have taken a longer time to kind of solidify. It can be launched and kind of tested faster, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. And I mean, like that's even with the dealer, how the dealerships are transitioning. Um, right now in lockdown, it's appointment only. You can't even drive up to a, a dealership's lot right now and, and, and see a car or like talk to a sales guy. Yeah. So that it's changing. It's pushing for the car industry specifically, it's pushing the way consumers behave and interact with dealers specifically. There's tons of industries that just went from like here on the innovation to, you know, 20 steps up. Mm. Um, but and the dealership space is one of them where now, now all of a sudden consumers are that much more open to interacting further into the pipeline or further into the funnel with a dealer online versus coming in, talking to a sales guy, X, Y, and Z. Yeah. Um, just to like flip over here, like, uh, uh, have you put any thought into the whole um, rising of um, cars as a service model? You know, Porsche. Toro? Yeah. So not Toro. Toro is a rental market space. So Porsche um, and Mercedes, um, they have experimental models now where instead of leasing or financing a car, you pay a subscription fee to take a car that you can return whenever you need. You, you're actually renting a fleet. And you can pick and choose between that fleet. You can you can return it and take another car. Interesting. Right. I actually, now that you mentioned that, I have heard about it briefly, um, but I haven't I haven't heard of it recently. And uh, I like the idea because ultimately it's there. It's like uh, I guess it's like you know rental car or better yet. Um, in, uh, in so it's it's better than rental car because. Um, while you have it, you take care of it, but when you return it, the, 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 the dealer will like take over it. It's still their vehicle, right? It's mm -hmm. their vehicle yet. You are renting it, but like they will ensure it, they will make sure, ensure it, make sure it's all running. It's good to go. Right. And when you, if you ever return it, let's say you don't want to do an oil change, you can return it and you just get another car and they'll take care of it. Right. It's almost like a service package built yeah. in with a rental with ownership kind of distributed. Right. I think um, on that are um, the as above, so below, you know, principle where subscription is kind of infiltrating the consumer's wallet as mm -hmm. a whole. And I think 
every industry will try to take that model at some point because what subscription does is it allows you to have constant touch points with the consumer and build a more intimate relationship with the consumer. And so for Mercedes, now they went from getting seeing the customer every three months for an oil change to seeing them or, or at least communicating with them every month now, mm. shape or form. And I like that model because it's whether it's switching a new vehicle out, you know, talking to them about this or that, or, you know, the, the touch points instantly spike. And that's ultimately what a brand wants, especially in a world where brand loyalty is at its lowest. I really like that, especially again, subscription and uh, SaaS or whatever that, that it's been around now, but for the car industry that has some unique, uh, unique advantages that make it uh, more powerful, I would say. Hmm. Yeah. I think like um, like that, that's interesting, right? This uh, this idea of decoupling ourselves with our with assets, or especially with de depreciating assets, like the, yeah, uh, you know, there there's a model where there's a modeling where like you know they're predicting like the younger generations, um, especially uh, Gen Z and even Gen Alpha, don't want to own things. You know, they want to exist in a free a limit of freedom, yeah. right? Yeah. So everything. There's a there's a great model from from. Um, from uh, the um, the valley, where they for startups they had founders pay a SaaS fee for housing. Yeah, like eight different incubators, eight different co-working co-working slash co-living yeah. spaces, right? All kind of distributed across the valley. If you have a subscription, you can enter uh, enter and work out any of them. You can mm -hmm. jump around between them, be a nomad, right? <laughs> and I love this kind of idea. This idea that you know you like. You like as a person, you want to budget your life anyways. You know, you, you know, yeah. there's so much is going for rent, so much is going for food, all this stuff. But like, if you can pay for that, you know, not as a as a as a pay as a, as like a backwards payment, but like paid forward, right? Yeah. Are you gonna pay this one fee and my living is taken care of? I pay this one fee, my meals are taken care of, right? And you yeah. can budget and plan that way. It's like that also, like, you know, you know, you might be paying a little bit more premium. You're losing a little bit of that marginability, that the time saving, that just the, the the level of service you get out of it. Like that, that, that feel is there. It's like almost like a luxury level feel, feeling you get out of it, right? Experience you get out of it, right? Subsidized because yeah. other people are doing it together. Yeah. I, honestly, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, one area that I find really interesting that I just kind of learned more of um, is uh, like hippie communes. Mm. And I've never really knew that was a thing until when I got into the e commerce space. One of the, the leaders in e com is Ezra. Firestone and he was he was actually born and raised on a hippie commune and he kind of talks on the values and the, the advantages that a hippie commune has especially in today's world that you know a lot of families don't have and part of it is having all those resources and assets bundled and you can make better purchases you can make better decisions you can buy more at a cheaper rate and all, all that stuff but everyone kind of gets to live uh on a on a more free basis and you, you just pay into one thing and then you get all these assets and you get all these luxuries uh that allow you to live almost better um you know obviously i think hippies in general have got a uh an interesting rap in today's world mm -hmm. but the concept itself is kind of spinning back around to what that looks like and i see that happening obviously a lot uh, more and more as we come, become more connected in, in the world of, of, uh, of the internet, right? Yeah. It, it's funny you say that because, you know, I've, I've heard that like, just like, like the, the hippie kind of, uh, uh, vibe was like the zygist of like the counterculture of the sixties, yeah. right? The, the flower power era. Um, it's like, that was like the counterculture that where the culture came out of entrepreneurs, innovators, you know, they're kind of the counterculture of today. You know, we look at like Elon Musk and be like, that's a he that's what that's what hero worship looks like, you know? Yeah. That's what that's what ideal is. It, I, I, ideals of cha change, right? Whereas 20, 30 years ago, that wasn't like that. 100%. So it's like entrepreneurship has become this cool new thing now, and more people are taking it on. And one, it's because you know the success of the last uh, you know 10, 10, 15 years of the mobile revolution and all that. But really, also is the the changing atmosphere we live in. Like how much access we have to things just, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's also why, um, the, the, the newer generations that are coming up 
feel that way where they don't care to own stuff because they're like, I, I can get this whenever I want. I can have that whenever I want. They see that kind of uh, globalization, right? And they're like, well, what's the point of owning a home when I could just go travel and live in a bunch of homes? Or what's the point of, you know, owning a car when I could just go travel in a bunch of cars? And ha having that perspective from day one is I, I really feel is why like things like uh, the hippie cute, uh, commune will come back around in areas like, you know, Silicon Valley. But then I feel like it will also come back around in, in just everyday living, like just groups mm. of schools will kind of bond together closer and in bigger areas and, and pool funds to be able to do these more experienced experiences and, and be able to live in a much more unique way where you're not having to own an asset or put down a big down payment because, you know, they don't feel the, the need to mm -hmm. be everything's so connected and you can access everything so easily. So it's like, is it actually important to own that stuff, to have your own home? Yeah, yeah. Like I was talking to the previous guest uh, Ma, uh, before uh, I talked to before you is uh, Mayu, and he runs like a robotics uh, academy. Right? He teaches teaches kids uh, how to build robots and runs things. And we're talking about the future of learning and the future of living, right? And the needs to be, uh, uh, like what we were talking about the hippie coming. Like imagine that, but with data and yeah. analytics built in. Yeah. That's it. Right. Like a self-run community where everyone kind of puts in their weight and it runs together. Like Imagine like a campus, like uh, the Apple campus, the Google campus, but like you're living and working together on a company, right? But like in a distributed environment and with shared resources and you're sharing with other people, right? So what are the future of like, you know, those urban parks or like those uh, what is it, industrial parks, yeah. all right? Those commercial districts, what do they look like, right? How do we create those kind of, like those kind of districts for the innovator class, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? I, I honestly like I see that happening in in small uh small kind of versions, but also like big versions. Like you were just mentioning, what is the new industrial park? Because um, I even myself have had you know the thought of once I once I've been able to build and sell a company and, and really establish myself as a leader and uh, business, I want to be able to to actually like buy houses and fill them with entrepreneurs and let them live together and incubate uh, ideas, incubate, you know, perspective, motivation. And, and I think that will be something that people, entrepreneurs will flock to yeah. and are continue because a big part of it is, you know, we want to, we want to be around the people that are like us and it's more and more okay to have these more unique livings, unique. They'll be, they'll be very normal here soon. Uh, living situations where it's not traditional, you go, you live with uh, your family, then you go live with a, a partner, and then you go off and into the sunset kind of thing. It's like there's these these new age ways of living your entire life, your entire life. It's not traditional anymore, and the possibilities are are uh, multiplying. I think like year over year at a pretty mm -hmm. rapid pace. Things like turning an entire company workforce into a living uh, facility as well is not far down the line. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like that, that's, that's really interesting, right? Like how do we modernize that? I was talking to like a previous, like a guest before this about how, how like uh, complexity has been thrown into our lives unnecessarily, like how, how that's, how that's changed us. Right. Like look at it, like the previously, like how, when we used to work, we used to have to like drive like an hour, two hours a day in the city. Right, yeah. just to get to and from work or commute from work, like that lost time aspect, right? Like looking into like how people during the pandemic has moved out more into like smaller communities. Yeah. Like, you know, further away from the city where they're like, oh, I had the internet. I can just do everything from here, from wherever, right? Like, uh, I, I, like I feel like we're becoming more uh, regressed society-wise because we no longer need cities as much if we have, as long as we have internet, mm -hmm. right? As long as we're interconnected, we can be ethereal. We can be nomadic. Yeah. Right. And it's like an older way of living kind of comes. Like the idea of digital no nomads, right? Uh, Naval Ravikant, who I quote all the time on this podcast, right? <laughs> the the co-founder of Angel List. Yeah. He talks about how internet is regressing us to more like hunter gatherers, where each yeah. person thinks talks about like what they can hunt and kill. Like 
you know, what contract can I get? What, what yeah. hustle can I do? What income streams can I build? What assets can I get? Right? Like how can I build a system, but each person thinking individually rather than like, Oh, let me join this, follow this 30 year career path as a company, you know, start at entry level and work my way up. Right. Um, we need to join the government, you know, get a government safe job. Like rather than that, like the market's favoring people who are more independent, nomadic and figuring things out independently themselves. But like the play always has been into leadership, right? Like how do we bring people together again in, in like in novel ways that to fight different problems. Right. And mm-hmm. I think we're becoming more tribal in nature where instead of forming companies around a problem, being like, Oh, we're going to solve this. We're like, Oh, we all kind of believe what we believe. Yeah. Why don't we all work together as like a tribe to like, you know, do things together. 100%. I really, I really like that. Um, all that, what you just said. And, and uh, I've been thinking about that too recently in the sense of we're now going back on that scale and not i wouldn't say scale because that that means we're going like down but we're just we're just kind of now looping back almost like a boomerang where it went from you know everybody cluster in to where everybody is to everyone do their own thing uh independently but still be very connected mm-hmm. and i see that and i love i personally love that because that for me again going back to the health standpoint it allows you to be in your own environment, optimize for yourself, for whatever work environment you thrive in, you know, have the space, have the greenery, be able to go back into more rural areas where there's actually, you know, green grass <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, everywhere you're walking isn't concrete. So from a health standpoint, I love it. From a standpoint of, uh, of independence, I love being able to do that because long-term it's going to provide uh, humans, like human, the human society or, or the collective humans as a whole with better problem solvers and be able to level up our, our ultimately awareness and consciousness of life because it's now taking people from, I need to just go to my job, you know, do what I'm told and leave where that was a very mind numbing experience for a lot of people over those years of the industrial era to now, how can I solve my own problems? And you're going to have people like an Elon Musk or like a Bill Gates where they see 20, 30, 40,000 years into the future because all of a sudden their problem solving brain clicked on. Hmm. They're doing their own little thing here. And all of a sudden they're just going to run with it. And we're going to, I think this is incubating a lot more of those individuals because everyone has the genius inside of them. But right now society doesn't favor those people, but slowly more and more people become the entrepreneur, become the independent person, the hunter and gatherer, like Naval mentioned, that's going to ultimately trigger that genius in a lot of people. I don't think it's there yet. Gary V obviously really sparked that do what you love kind of thing with his book, crushing it. Um, but those things take so long to incubate from a society standpoint, uh, because people hate change, but ultimately when, once we're embracing that and we go into that, independence, everyone can do their own thing, still make money, still turn the society around. Uh, there's going to be a big difference in, in the kind of talent that grows uh, wherever, first mm-hmm. of all, and grows in general and, and what kind of levels they can reach. Because I think, again, if you judge, uh, a f- if you judge, what is it? If you judge a fish on how it tr- climbs a tree, like it's going to be dumb, right? Mm-hmm. But if you judge it by how it swims, then ultimately it becomes a genius. So uh, I think that's what we're getting towards more is allowing people to thrive in what they're, they're good at. And that that's going to allow more and more, you know, amazing, amazing problem solvers and, and ideas to flood the, the human collective as a whole. Yeah, no, I love, I love that. Right. Like this idea of like, how do we train people and, and move people forward? Right. Cause for some people it comes naturally. And the idea of people being left behind is kind of irky, right? Like the idea that some people are not going to be easy to navigate or learn new ways of doing things, mm-hmm. right? So, uh, you know, a quick hook to you, right? Like, what do you think the future of education is? I mean, you're, you're a pretty recent graduate. Like, you, you know, you came out of the school system recently and now you're in the professional industries and you're seeing how the rapid change of spaces, you work in startups, right? Comparing like what you know now and how you've learned now compared to what you learn in an institutionalized environment, what do you think is the future of education? What, what do you think we need? Uh, well, I think if formal education doesn't adapt, which I don't think they will, 
um, based off of who's funding them and how big they are, like they're just going to, they're going to die out over, over the years and individual mentorship and apprenticeships will, mm. um, you already see it, right? You see in it, in the sense of private courses, which is not whether it ever gets regulated, like it's not regulated. And so you do have the gurus and you do have the people that don't actually know what they're talking about. And they're just stealing information from someone else. Like you have that, right? But the core concept of private education and personalized education is huge. And I, I think like I'm a huge advocate on that because it allows you to pick and choose what skill sets and what individuals you follow and learn by. And the way I've now uh, uh, position myself, I'm, I'm never going to learn from someone that hasn't done what I'm trying to do or is doing what I'm trying to do. And no, no one should, but you get, you're in formal education. You have these teachers that learn marketing from a, an institution and then go and teach marketing at an institution. And it's this uh, tunnel that gets built where if you learn marketing from a marketer, you're going to learn how to market. Right. And if you mm -hmm. learn marketing, from a, a, a 1% marketer that, that manages a billion dollar ad spend across the, the world, you're going to learn how to manage a billion dollars in ad spend across the world. So it's about getting into these more like smaller pods and getting, getting close to those mentors and building more uh, mentor apprenticeship relationship where I think that kind of got suppressed and pushed into the trades. But the trades, you see how clear cut of a path that is to becoming like a master at your craft. Why? Because the system is go, you become an apprentice of a master electrician, you learn from them, and then you become a master electrician. It's pretty simple. But mm. years, I think, you know, that money got involved and we're like, how can we blow this thing up? And, and all of a sudden, and now coming back to our point before, the independence play, the decentralization play, is going to bring that back to saying, Hey, if I'm trying to become a marketer, I'm going to go learn from a marketer and that's it. I'm not going to be learning, you know, university English and do my stats while I'm at it and have to learn, you know, liberal arts just to learn marketing. Like that's bullshit in my opinion. <laughs> and mm -hmm. it should be narrowed down to, if I'm trying to learn marketing, I'm going to go learn marketing. I'm going to learn from the best. And, and here's the people that do it. And they're going to take me under my wing or their wing. I'm going to be their apprentice. And uh, in three years time, I'm going to be just as good as them and, and uh, a faster period of time because they've taught me and mm. they've taught mistakes from me where people are still going to formal ed education, taking four or five years, then going into a company, figuring it on their own still. And finally, after 10 years, they've, they've just begun to understand what really works and what doesn't work. It, it, it's truly as broken the way it is, in my opinion. The mentor, the mentor and apprenticeship relationship is hands down where it will be um, in the coming years. Yeah, um, no, I love that, and I love the fact that you brought up uh, mentorship and entrepreneur uh, and uh, uh, apprenticeship. I 100% believe in that as well. And I mean, talking about the power of that, right? I, I feel like I don't know if it's going to be it's going to be mass adopted, but I, I'm already seeing the rise of like collective groups, yeah. like labor pools, like. Um, artist collectives, uh, UX, UI collectives, uh, programming collectives, right? Where the labor is saying is coming together and being like, hey, we do this thing. Why don't we form like an organization around what we do rather than the, our product or, you know? So it's like um, rather a company, rather than, you know, hire a developer or hire a development firm can hire, go to like a, like a, like a UX collective and be like, hey, get this done. And just like um, electricians, like the electricians, uh, the guild, right? Yeah. Uh, the electricians guild. When you when, when you hire the electrician guild, the guild decides which of its members goes out. They rank the seniority, right? Favors the ones who are senior and have and put in uh, put in hours of the guild, and assigns them jobs. And it guarantees employment for everybody. And mm -hmm. it has a, it has a way of like structuring itself to make sure everyone's taken care of. And because of collectively they're representing them, they make sure that fair wages are paid all that kind of things, things are done and it's all run transparently because everyone's like a member of this thing, an owner member of this. Mm -hmm. So the idea of like labor organizing and creating labor groups, right? These tribes, we're like, our tribe does this really well, right? right? 
collective as a tribe and together we'll distribute who does it and how we, how we do it, right? And I think that's, that's really interesting for getting things done. Same time, it also puts the onus, when, when you put like the, 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 the price pressure on the labor, for, the people providing labor on what things are cost, things might fluctuate in cost and things, right? So it's yeah. really interesting. Um, also, I've heard this idea of like, um, you know, a former, like a actual a head of a, uh, a private college came on and talk, talked about this, where he's like, he foresees in the future, corporations are going to pay institutions for a training of student for, for education. So rather than a student paying tuition, you can get free access to uh, a free or subsidized access to uh, um, courses or learning materials or apprenticeships, right, to learn a skill. And the companies, corporate companies that want to hire you are prepaying for you. Mm -hmm. right. So, these, you know, right? So even labor pools have the have opportunity. But like, we'll train specialized people in this in this field, or we'll train people in specialized industries. You prepay, we 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 build out a flock, and you choose from there which ones you want. Yeah. Or you pay us like a SAS fee, and then we'll get to get it done for you. Yeah. Right? It's all bundled in together. Yeah, yeah. I think that's. I mean, like I I, I like that notion of of it because ultimately you're not hiring somebody or it forces you which corporations should be to to really become great companies is hiring based off of their attitudes and mm -hmm. going through the the eq versus iq because when you come out of university you have the diploma you have the piece of paper uh companies are hiring you based off of skill not eq where if you're picking somebody up and going and getting them trained before like you're most likely hiring them off of eq and like i think that's what if companies can do that well and, and strip out the iq and just focus on hiring based off of eq like that's how you really keep the company culture going and then be like great great individuals because if you have the eq you know your scale in terms of building those skill sets is really limitless mm -hmm. yeah i mean that's that's interesting to say that like hire based off eq right Mm -hmm. um it's like choose companies uh because of culture not because of brand 100%. Uh, right so the the idea is uh, like what you're saying i think it's so it seems to make sense but are we seeing it like what are what are your friends saying who work in these companies like how are people like how would you choose a company to work for well i mean for me it's very different because like i've always had that uh leadership mentality where if i'm <laughs> If I'm working at somewhere, I best be seeing the direct path to the top or mm. I'm not there for very long, you know? Yeah. So um, I might not be the best example, but I do uh, look at for myself, you know, how how uh, open is the is the, the opportunity to growth, right? And how open are they to individuals that want to do more? Um, and I think that needs to be thought of, especially in these bigger corporations, but even for startups, like for us, I know any time that we're going to bring on new individuals, like I want to, I want to let them grow into whatever position they want, because ultimately that's what, that's where their strengths are going to lie if they gravitate towards that. And I think going back to that, you know, the fish analogy, if you keep someone crammed up in this, this area of your business that ultimately, sure, they do a, a good job at it, but if you brought them over to HR, they would be great at that being able to have that freedom and that that um that flexibility and in how individuals move through the company and having that open-mindedness radical open-mindedness is what um ray dalio talks about mm. in and i love that because there's never a bad solution to anything there's never a wrong answer it's like oh sally all of a sudden realized that hr is the place that she thinks she can thrive in fuck let's give her a chance right and the next thing you know she's our head of hr for all of north america because she just flourished but for the last year and a half she's been scraping by getting her tasks done in finance mm. but didn't mean she was a bad she was a bad pick from the 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 team to hire her it just means she wasn't a good fit for the role and that's where that eq versus iq comes into play is finding the right people that can uh, ultimately facilitate and and spark the culture that's really all that matters because as long as that person's thriving in the culture you're going to be able to find a fit within the company eventually you know right now for us in the startup we don't need every kind of position in the book 
But as soon as we start to have a, 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 an array of positions open, that's mm -hmm. what we allow people to move around. But for corporations that have every position in the book open, you should be open to that. It, back to your question though, is that happening or not? I think slowly it is because the democratization of um, data and then ultimately information where, you know, if I don't see this, oh, well, I can go get another job here. I see that job. I see that job. So it's coming that that arms race where if you don't have it, then you're not going to get the hire anyways. But um, that's where I see how things should play out regardless. Mm -hmm. Coming back from Vancouver, um, like Vancouver has a serious homeless problem, right? We do here as well, but they're experiencing it at a very different scale. Do mm -hmm. you get to see that at all? Do you get to experience that? Do you get to walk around? Um, I mean, I lived in Vancouver for nine years, or sorry, nine months. And when I was there, I definitely experienced it. Yeah. Yeah. Like, what does that look like? Like with COVID, like one of the things that uh, Scott Galloway said recently on his recent podcast, he was talking about how, how uh, we're, we're living in a, like, you know, talking about EQ in a period where we're, we are living in a, in a bubble of empathy, right? We're all in our homes. We're not going out. We're not, we're not, we're not going to, to work to like, you know, or, you know, experiencing public transport, seeing other people outside of our bubble, right? Yeah, maybe even like with, with Zoom calls, maybe with calls or working, you interact with some people, your coworkers, but you're in a bubble, mm -hmm. right? So there's less people who are doing well or doing okay are not seeing people who are not doing okay. Right. right? So the bubble of empathy where we're not, we're not, we're not uh, transacting. Like if we're not seeing the people uh, experiencing pain, we're removed from it, right? Um, so talking, we you know we talked about some positive about COVID, but that's a that's a social negative, right? Yeah. This lack of empathy, right? Um, on the previous episode, uh, on a previous episode, I talked about how, like you know, this idea of like uh, history uh, doesn't repeat itself; it rhymes, mm. right? So looking back at history, you can see it patterns that we 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 we, we mimic, and an economic theory that. You know, if you want to see the culture conditions right now, look back to how uh, how people were a hundred years ago. Right. A uh, hundred years ago, you know, you see a different generation because people living in good times, right, create strong times mm. that create weak people. Sorry, strong people create good times that create weak people that create weak times, right? And we're living in a period where, like, you know, of that of that you know Ray Dalio boom and bust bubble, right? Yeah. The K curve, right? You know, we're experiencing like a uh, what's being called the Great Dispersion, where we're not losing wealth. It's not like the the depression or like the Great Recession, but wealth is transferring so quickly yeah. and so fast that some people are getting it, but a lot are not, right? Yeah. And it's a crazy stat I learned from the Great Depression era, right? Is that um, we focus on the one third of people that went homeless, that suffered. That uh, you know lost a lot because during that time you know people who there's a lot of social stratification people who lost lost heavily but mm. one third of people actually stayed okay mm. right like they had their houses their jobs remained they didn't do well they didn't get to grow uh, grow but they they scraped by but one third of people really did well the Great Depression created more millionaires in America than any other period in its history yeah because of a period of great change looks for, uh, you know for people who can find the opportunity right. You know, again, great dispersion, right? People who are going to suffer are going to suffer extremely. Some people are going to stay, uh, stay just afloat. But the people who can do well have a potential to make great, ups great, uh, great upswings. Yeah. Uh, Elon and Jeff Bezos being primary movers yeah. of that. Crazy. Right. Um, so I think that's going to be interesting. Like, so. Yeah, I think. I mean, like, I, I know we're we're past an hour here, but you know that what that speaks to me is where. Bitcoin comes in and cryptocurrencies come in mm -hmm. is coming back to giving back the power to people um, and ultimately giving opportunities back to who want it uh, and equaling the, the playing opportunity because I see I see Bitcoin and the tech behind that more I shouldn't say Bitcoin I should say blockchain technology is that's really what's powering all of this bringing that back to an equilibrium and allowing people to if they want, you know, have like uh, capitalize on opportunity and individuals that might have not had opportunity will have opportunity now through the decentralization of, of currency. Again, that's so up for debate on when that will happen or how quick that will happen. 
um, how it will happen. But what it's doing is it's disrupting how, where money is allocated. You know, you see governments with uh, have full control over central banks and then central banks have full control over individuals. And with decentralization, that's just not the not the case. Like no one person has the, has the full you know grab on um, the the currency at the point when it is massively uh, mass adopted. And so when that comes the case, now all of a sudden you have individuals that can offer opportunity to anyone and those individuals that previously couldn't offer the opportunity or didn't have the opportunity now will because the monetary field is, is, is leveled and ultimately the monetary fields where things get started uh, to, to, to provide opportunity to give way. So um, yeah, I mean, that, that's a whole other conversation in itself, but the blockchain technology is, is ripe for disrupting that kind of philosophy where, and it's never in our lifetime have we experienced that, where there was a decentralized way of mm. providing currency back and forth peer to peer. And once that happens, that great diversion just can't be anymore. Like it's still gonna happen. The people that are, know the opportunity will take advantage, but it won't happen to as I believe at least it won't happen to as an extreme on the other end because uh, the way you know disa not disasters but the way the hard times come about I think will be different um, just because it's not going to be like the 2008 crisis that was completely created around you know the banking and everyone turning a blind eye to what was really going on. And it was all coming from a central source. That stuff just can't really happen with a decentralized system where it's happening peer to peer. So, um, I, I yeah, like I, there's so much there still, and and I don't even know if half the stuff I'm saying will end up coming to fruition. But um, that space, I think, will equal out a lot of opportunity for certain people. Yeah, man. You know, it's fun to be predictions because like. That's that's part of entrepreneurship, right? Seeing the vision, seeing the path forward, and, and trying to make a play within that within that space, right? Um, you know, like one of the things about angel investing is like, you know, you don't you're not just picking, you're not just putting uh, money and, and calculating ROI. You're picking a future that you want to be wanted wanted to be, right? Yeah. Like you know, the, the so the solution that's being solved by that company is what what you really care about. You want to see that in the world. Um, so you know, the path of entrepreneurship is, I, I think, it is true leadership. It's about creating real impacts in the world, about making changes where you see fit, chasing a vision where, um, you know, others are lacking. Yeah. So, man, kudos for you taking that journey, man. Welcome to Founder Club and yeah. uh, looking forward to hearing more, man. Yeah, no, it's really exciting. I'm, I'm really, I, I love it more and more each day, or mm -hmm. each week, you know, when I, when I can reflect on what's happened through the week, how much has progressed. Like, it's crazy. You can get caught up in the day-to-day -day and, and in terms of like, ah, oh, you know, everything's, there's stress and da da da. And, but you know, when you look back at it, the beauty of, of being a founder and, and getting a startup off the ground is progress happens so quickly. And, uh, you really have, you know, your fate at your fingertips and, and you can make or break it. Right. So it's cool. It really is. No, oh, absolutely, man. Uh, cameraman, our hour is up. This has been great. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for your time. Yeah. Thanks. Um, me again looking forward to number three already now come yeah. back in a few months give us an update oh yeah perfect thank you buddy. Yeah.